0: Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? This episode would not exist without the help of Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. Because today's episode was recorded in front of a live audience. And I needed Jeff and his audio expertise to record and produce things while I did the interviewing. Thank you, Jeff, for helping me reach a goal that I didn't even know I had. Learn more about Jeff and his work at idealvideostrategies.com And of course, as it says in the intro, ADHD Essentials is part of the ADHD Rewired podcast network. If you're not listening to our other shows, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb and ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, you're missing out. They are two solid ADHD resources that I can't recommend highly enough. In Hacking Your ADHD, Will Kerb explores the ways we can work with our ADHD brains to do more of the things that we want to do. And Eric Tivers, ADHD Rewired is a show designed for adults who have really good intentions, but slightly wandering attention. Not only that, but he has passed the 300th episode mark. The next round of ADHD Essentials Online Parent Coaching Groups launches on Monday, March 16th, 2020 and will run, on Mondays and Wednesdays, for eight weeks. If you're interested in joining, go to www.adhdessentials.com slash parentgroups, or email me at brendan at I'll begin contacting people on January 6th, 2020, to schedule free information and registration sessions about the groups. Registration for these information sessions will close on Monday, February 3rd. Also, if you're not a part of the ADHD Essentials Facebook community yet, we'd love to have you join. It's a place where parents affected by ADHD connect and support one another. We answer questions, share resources, and of course, share our experiences. Go to facebook.com groups slash ADHD Essentials community to sign up. Welcome to ADHD Essentials this episode may sound a little bit different to you. That's because it was recorded live at the Commonwealth Learning Center in Needham, Massachusetts, as I mentioned earlier. And as a result of that live recording, there are some audio artifacts and background noises that don't typically appear on this podcast, but I think it feels a little more intimate as well. I hope you enjoy this episode as much or more than my usual episodes. And I hope you find as much enjoyment listening to it as I found in recording it. Please let me know what you think about this experiment in live recording by emailing me at brendan at I'd love to hear what you think. Today, we're talking to my friend, Lolly Weeks. Lolly is a wife, mother, and business owner with ADHD, parenting two boys with ADHD, and she's driven to help students, families, and adults navigate the ADHD superhighway. In today's episode, Lolly shares her experiences as a kid, mom, and coach with ADHD. We talk about empathic time travel, the power of fierce moms, why kids ruin sandboxes, the nature of ADHD coaching, and celebrating progress no matter how small. All right, let's get rolling.
1: I'm Lolly Weeks. I'm an ADHD coach, and I work primarily with students and parents, both students individually parents individually and sometimes all together. And I have an office right here in Needham and I also work with clients virtually. I love working in that space of newly, the teacher keeps calling and we don't know what we're dealing with or we just got a diagnosis and helping navigate kind of that overwhelming time. And then when you hit a little speed bump
0: along the way. We were talking, cause we went out to dinner beforehand, cause we're friends in real life. We are. That's what you do. So at dinner today, you are talking about how one of the things that motivates you is that you can remember what it was like as a kid yeah. with ADHD. I really want to start there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was not the inattentive ADHD girl in the back of the room. I, I was the girl who was climbing the bookshelf with the boys and jumping in the mud puddles at recess. Um, so... You know, I spent a lot of time sitting in the hallway <laughs> because I was disruptive. Um, I have a whole collection of report cards saying, you know, if Lolly would just stop talking so much in class, she's so bright. And I remember what it felt like, those little micro moments of failure and how they can compound on you as a kid. And I do. I get teary even now talking to it. And so. It took me a long time to, like, what do I do with this life experience? And now all this education and knowledge I have about it, and I really realized that that was the space that I wanted to connect with, with kids in terms of I can remember really vividly what it felt like that bad day when you've got the red flag next to your name again, or your class doesn't get to go out for extra recess because you interrupted, you know, story time or something. So I feel like I can connect with those kids really. I know what it feels like and I can help parents who maybe didn't have that experience, maybe understand just a little more deeply how hard your kids are really trying and how you can support them.
0: One of the things that I say about my ADHD travels and becoming a professional in this space is that, I've become the person that I needed. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've done the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love that I've had clients eight, you know, nine years old, and just having a grown up say, Yeah, some days at school it sucks. And they're like, There's a grown up who will admit they were <laughs> naughty at school, you know, because they're always getting, you know, a consistent message of all the things they need to do better. And that's the goal is to help them, but also to just have somebody who goes, I get it, it's not easy, so let's figure out how to make it easier. And it is, it's really, it, it just gets me when some kid goes, oh, wow, <laughs> you sat in the hallway? Yeah, I love that and seeing that moment. So that's, my big motivation was, how do I take all of this and make it purposeful?
0: As a kid with ADHD, because that I, I like to think of it as empathic time travel, that ability to go back to who you were when you were 10, 12, 14, however old, and feel it. And even if the memories are hazy, you still like, I know how that felt. I know what it was like to be in that situation that this kid is in, mm-hmm. or, or even that this adult is in. What are some of the memories that come up?
1: I had my third grade teacher, whose very pointy fingernails, spent a lot of time in my armpit. guiding me out to go sit outside because you know after recess I was having a hard time settling down so I could I won't say her name she's probably passed because she was older but those are the things that I think that we also forget it's very common for these fast brains of ours to also be very empathic. I know you, a lot of clients will say, you know, my kid's just so like, they'll be the one who goes right over on the playground, you know, when they see someone else in distress or things because they are, they, they pick up on those vibes. I call, time, I think empathic time travel is a great reference. I think it's better than what I use. <laughs> I may start using it, because I often say little Lolly is like just a half step behind me going, I remember that. Do you remember? And she can just really connect with that memory and those emotions very quickly. It's maybe t- empathic, because sometimes I'm like little Lolly and I'm always afraid some parent's gonna go, um, you have a little you know, voice following you around? I'm like, no, no I'm okay, really.
0: <laughs> so what helped you get out of there? School was hard, school was challenging. What buoyed you up?
1: Elementary school was excruciating. Back then, they would do uh, IQ tests in, like, kindergarten. And first grade, I was an abysmal failure. Every year was, you know, Lolly's really not academically turning in her homework and stuff. And, you know, my parents would be like, but she's got the content because I was a verbal processor. I would pick it up. If I could listen, I would get it. Mm -hmm. But they would be like, but she never turns in her homework. She does really poorly on her spelling tests. And my mom would be like, no you're not holding her back and they would be like this iq test was wrong obviously administered so i took an iq test pretty much every spring until sixth grade because they wanted to hold me back and my mom would be like "Uh uh-uh no
0: and that discrepancy between theoretical ability based on the iq test
1: right they didn't match up Yeah. yeah
0: and that's adhd
1: totally yeah i you know write a paper i still have i remember i think it was fifth grade, we had a project about, it was like a civics project, and we had to write our, create a utopia. And, you know, we could do whatever we wanted. And it was the first time that, like, something totally captured my imagination. And I mean, I created money, I created a language, I made up words for the names, I had a map. And it was funny, because my teach I never forget, my teacher was like, where did this come from, <laughs> you know? Because all of a sudden, something, And that hyper-focus kicked in. And I worked on it for like, you know, the two weeks every night. And I was making collages of, you know, like the travel brochure. And it was, I think, the first thing that I had completed and turned in to this teacher. And so that was, I think, in like fourth or fifth grade. And that was when finally a teacher went, oh, (laughs) she is listening, you know, she is getting it. But yeah, that, that match-up. And I often will say to clients even, you know, it's a great thing to hear. You're so smart. You can do anything, but at a certain point, stop saying that. Because at a certain point when your kid's struggling in school and the parent-teacher conference is, you know, mom and dad come home and you're like, oh no, I'm in trouble again. And the message is you just need to try harder. At a certain point, you just start looking at the grown-ups in the room and saying, obviously I'm not that smart because I'm not doing good on my grades and my parent-teacher conference was tanked. Yeah. So I know for me, it started to develop this sense of like, so maybe the grownups in the room really don't know what the heck they're talking about.
0: And on my end, when I was a kid, right, because I, similar to you, I was not executing at the level that everyone figured I could. And I actually had a teacher in fourth grade who would, and I don't remember this, I only know this happened because my mom told this story so many times and she's not going to lie to me about this. (laughs) But I had a teacher who would call the house like at dinner time and give me quizzes over the phone.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. I would have loved that.
0: I don't even remember it. And I I shouldn't say that because I can empathically travel back in time and my gut, the emotional response I have to that is one of violation is a little strong, but kind of invasion is better. Like I'm home. Why are you dragging school that I suck at so much Mm. home? Like that's the closest I get to having a memory of this. As an adult, I'm like, that's amazing that that teacher went and did that, because I taught. I know what that means in terms of care. In terms of compassion, I totally understand it. But as a kid, I'd have this vague, like, ugh. And, but that was what got me through fourth grade, was well, I was, was, I was saying, able to verbally process this? it more effectively. How
1: did you do on those quizzes? Better,
0: yeah, because she wouldn't have kept doing it if it, if it wasn't right. working, and it, it did. But where I was going was, was that struggle is so true for so many folks with ADHD. And what you were saying about that speech of, you're so smart, you can do it, you just have to try harder. Buckle down. Kills me. That's not the way to communicate that message. It's a good message. It's a message I deliver to my kids sometimes, but I don't put it that way. I don't say you're so smart you can do anything because that just isn't true. There's lots of people out there who are incredibly intelligent and can't get out of their own way and can't do anything. They can only do some stuff, and that's the way it goes. The message, the way to deliver that message is you've got the skills, you're smart, that stuff is fine, But we have to point it towards effort, right? We've got to point it towards, you just got to work hard and be willing to put the effort in, which does not mean I'm about to say try harder because that also doesn't work. We have to make sure we praise the effort over the intelligence because I can always work harder. I can't always be smarter. So if I hit a line where I can't seem to do it anymore, if the thing I'm hanging my hat on is my intelligence, I'm going to assume I've reached the limit of my intelligence and I can't go any further. But if I assume, if I'm hanging my hat on my effort, I'm assuming that I've maybe hit the level of where I can effort right now, but I can maybe try harder tomorrow. That's going to change. Effort and that stuff can, energy level will, will change. But also, it's not about you just have to try harder. It's about we just need to figure out how. We, because I'm talking to a kid,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and they need my help. I'm the adult. Right. So we just need to figure out how you're going to do the thing that you want to do. Now it's a problem to solve. Now there's the opportunity for growth in a way that you don't get when someone says, you're so smart, you can do anything. You just got to try. Right. And and it especially doesn't imply that you're not trying, which was the implication I got all the time as a kid. Oh, yeah. No, you're not trying. trying.
1: And I don't like using disability because my number one message with all my clients is you are not broken. Anybody who says you are, I officially give you permission to bop them on the nose and walk out of the room. And parents, I tell them that all the time, like your kid is not broken. And I've had some clients who are like, there's a chiropractor who will do a series of 12 adjustments and cure ADHD. And I'm like, run, because they're not broken. It's just how our world and especially academically, it's square hole. Each seat has gotten more defined and restricted. And we have these amazing kids who are round pegs and octagons and triangles. And school is saying, nope, come on, squeeze, you gotta get in the round hole and try harder. You can do it. Those are all good messages, but the reality is, is we have an invisible disability. Nobody can see in our heads how hard we're actually trying. May not make our peg fit in your hole, but I am trying really hard. And this stuff is beyond my control, beyond my skill set right now. And I think that it's so powerful to be able to say, not yet. You just don't know how to do it yet.
0: Yeah, and, and when I was a kid and I kept hearing that just try harder, the implication to me was that I wasn't trying. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped trying. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, I'm not supposed to try because everyone's telling me that I don't, I don't try and I'm a people pleaser at heart and I will meet your expectation. So if your expectation is that I'm not going to be successful, then I'm not going to be successful. And there's a lot of us ADHD folks who have that particular skill set of meeting your expectation no matter what it may be and it happens for me in different ways sometimes if someone's like i'm going to push you really hard but you're not going to pull it off i'm going to be with them as they push me really hard and then i'm going to get overwhelmed and i'm going to shut down because i realize they don't think i can actually do it and
1: see i'm the exact opposite i uh-huh. was the contrarian okay you got to go left you got to go left and i'd be like but it looks really good over here i'm going to go over here because i bet i can find the solution over here to the right and they'd be like no we told you to go left and i'd be like but but i think the solution's over here and sometimes i would find the solution i'd be like see You were wrong. It's over here.
0: So did you tend to be like the fighter oppositional kid that's when you hear that you can't do that? Are you the one that's like, I can totally figure that out. I'm going to go do that.
1: I was more the sneaky kid. Okay. I was not what I would say confrontational. I would just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to go. I'm going to go write about this other thing because it's more interesting than what you want me to write about. Or, you know, I would just kind of go with the flow and then do what I wanted.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned writing and I, I'm sort of maybe jumping you forward a little bit, I don't know. But we're sort of talking about the struggles of ADHD and we're talking about a lack of success, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we are at the moment in childhood. But as you grew up, you found that success. Yeah. You had a successful blog, The Fortuitous Housewife, which is where the writing sent me. So how do how do we bridge that gap? How do we get from the kid who's struggling, who's being kind of sneaky, being kind of like subversive, oppositional yeah, but, kid, yeah. married successful woman with a blog that is bringing her things that are causing her to call it fortuitous.
1: You know it was like that teacher with that one assignment who realized oh I captured her imagination. You know another teacher who in civics we had cultural days the whole year and turned out she had grown up in Hawaii and she taught us a few words of Hawaiian and I got hooked. And by the end of third grade, I was speaking almost fluent Hawaiian because she would come to school with like new words. Like, you know, everybody else had their vocabulary words for the week on the board. And then I had mine and they were all Hawaiian.
0: Do you still speak Hawaiian? I
1: don't because I don't have anybody to talk to in Hawaii. speak to speak Hawaiian. But it's an amazing language because it's phonetic. It's consistent in all of its rules of spelling. And so it was all of a sudden, Oh, I was passing all my spelling tests. (laughs) So there were little moments with teachers that I connected with, struggled through middle school. And then it was really my sophomore year English teacher who, again, particular assignment caught my attention. I liked, I actually read the book, wrote the report. And she was like, Lolly, can you stay after class? And I was like, I turned in the essay, what's, you know, what now? She sat me down and she's like, this is the first time she had like really seen a full effort Mm -hmm. paper. And she was like, you're a really good writer. This is really insightful. And it was the first time that a teacher really pulled me out and said, hey, (laughs) there's a disconnect. You can do this. She really like pulled me along through my sophomore year. You know, she would check in with me. She would do all these things now that we, you know, Breaking up the project, you know, the C assignment, holding me accountable. And because I got a lot of positive, instead of, you didn't do a very good job on this, you didn't fully explore this or whatever, I got a lot of positive from her. It just created a really great momentum mm-hmm. in terms of, oh, I can do this. There's somebody who really believes that I can do this. And it just, it actually started then bleeding out into my other classes, because I started to feel more confident. You know, if I turned in a paper that wasn't great, you know, she would be like, hey, what about, and she would work with me in terms of making it better, not just giving me the grade and saying, try harder next time. That was a big transformation from the first day of high school when I arrived. And because I had struggled all the way through middle school, I arrived at my high school and at our high school, they you picked up your schedule the first day of school and you got your locker. And I picked up my schedule and all my friends had, you know, oh, what class do you have? And I had one class on my schedule. And I was like, what the? And it was, I forget what the acronym was. And it was like in the back of the school. And I finally found this classroom. And it was the, lear- it was the 1977 version of the Learning Center. It was the place where all the kids that they didn't know what to do with went. So it was wow. every conceivable disability learning to every everybody in this one classroom with like one teacher who was like trying to shepherd every and i remember sitting the first day through school just like what because while i struggle in school we had all these wonderful gifted programs back when we had budgets for gifted programs so that was my salvation through most of school where like these pull out gifted classes or after school gifted classes and here i am all of a sudden sitting in this room and i'm like am i supposed to sit here all day
0: how do you get from basement back of the school yeah. all day in this one room with this like nineteen seventy seven version of a? Uh...
1: I had a fierce mom who marched into school. The ne- I went home and I was like, I don't, I don't even know what happened, and my mom marched into that school and again she pulled out the file of IQ tests and said, put this kid in college prep classes or you know that version of it then, and they were like, she'll never, she'll never make it, and she's like, I don't care, she's my kid, I'm telling you to do it. Do it now and I remember the administrators just looking at her like you're crazy woman she's like do it now the next day I had a real schedule and you know all accelerated classes and yeah I floundered but I found my way and just having that one teacher and I remember she literally like handed me off to the junior English right. teacher like here she comes this is what I'm doing but I always say like having one adult who really, truly doesn't have to because they're a parent or whatever, but thinks you're awesome and you can do it and applauds you for the progress, the effort, totally transformational.
0: And that's what you do with your clients, right? Because we've had enough conversations and we've known each other long enough that I know that you've been that teacher, you've been that mom, Not that you've been a teacher, but you've played the role that that teacher's playing. And you've been that mom, and we'll get to that soon. And you've been that cheerleader, and you've been that parent, and you've been that adult for kids. For as long as I've known you, and that's, Mm -hmm. we're probably going on four or five years of being friends now. And you've not only been that person for kids, but in the town that we're in right now... You've been that person for the parents of those kids and them. helping yeah. them steer their children through school and, and helping them be the mom who barges into school and is like, that's not what's happening for my kid. This is what's happening for my kid by giving them the resources and the language and, and the, the sort of support. Or when they
1: say, no, the school says he's fine. He doesn't need testing. And I'm like, nope, go right back and tell him it's my legal right test my kid. For, you know for whatever it may be that they're doing great at school but they're a mess when they get home right. your right is to fight for your kid yeah nobody knows your kid better than you fight
0: follow your gut instinct so where does the adhd diagnosis come in when does that happen
1: well i do i have clients who will reach out to me in that space of the teacher's calling me every other day and the teacher thinks it's adhd or something else or attentional mm-hmm. And so I will, you know, I'll work with clients in terms of, well, first let's figure out what's really going on Mm -hmm. and finding the resources and making sure that they really have a good, thorough diagnosis. Privately, you know, I always clarify with them, you know, schools evaluate and they have a lot of great tools, but they can't diagnose a medical condition, which ADHD is. Yeah. Um,
0: legally they can't.
1: They can't. They cannot like tell you. Like officially
0: a school cannot diagnose ADHD.
1: ADHD is a, a medical diagnosis, so you've got to go to someone who's licensed to do that. But, you know, you can implement a lot of amazing strategies to, to support your kid before that, but you really need to know what, what the landscape looks like so you can make sure that you're bringing the right resources. Yeah. Um, you've said this to me. Um, you say it to kids, and I use it a lot in various situations. If I don't know your truth, I can't give you the right help. I can't right. support yeah. you in the right way, and that's true even with a diagnosis. You know, with with or without a diagnosis, yeah. what's really going on?
0: When it comes to your personal diagnosis, right? Because that you're pretty wide open with that. that oh, you yeah, have ADHD. Yeah. It's, I'm not. I'm not no. talking out of school here. But with your personal diagnosis, when does that happen? Is it happening in high school? Is it happening later?
1: Dr. Hellewell knows this story because I've told it to him. I struggled all these years and then one day getting ready for work. I always have GMA, so I know it was on GMA. Um, I had Good Morning America on and he was on talking about this new book that he had written, Driven to Distraction. And he was talking about his life experience in the book. And I was like, what? Wait a minute and i went out and got the book like the next day at the you know local bookstore and i read it and it was the best roller coaster ride of my life cuz i read like 5 pages and i was like oh hallelujah yes here we go that's me uh-huh and then like the next 5 pages i really wanted to take the book and beat him with it cuz i was like where have you been Why did it take so long for you to come and tell me this? So I always say, when people say, oh, when did you get diagnosed, you know? And I'm like, well, Ned Hallowell diagnosed me (laughs) in 1991. And then I went and got a real diagnosis. But I mean, I read the book and I was like, pulled out all my old report cards that my mother had mailed me like the last month. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. So I was 30. Okay. When I got diagnosed officially.
0: And how did that impact you?
1: It was really liberating and it was kind of like, okay, great. I get it. Super. And it kind of went on a shelf for a long time. You know, I was doing well in my career. You know, I graduated from college. You know, I started off high school totally tanking and by the end of high school, I was on the honor roll. I always say that I got into college not because of my grades, but because of the progress I made. I got into a couple of my colleges that I applied to all on probation. But the number, the you know, a number of the comments were, we see potential here. Mm-hmm. You've made so much progress, and it was great. That's and awesome. I had a great guidance counselor in college because I had no executive functions for like studying and managing all my time. And I had a, and my advisor was awesome. She'd be like, okay, come in every Monday, and we'll make a plan. Mm-hmm. And she was you know a broadcasting professor, but we would sit down that first year, and it set a groundwork mm-hmm. for me. But once i read the book i was like oh okay it explains a lot Mm -hmm. it kind of gave me a framework for my history and then i just
0: kind of put it on a shelf and now you're making adhd your life yeah so what changes
1: everything changed really when i had kids and mainly because a therapist i had years ago he said and i said why all of a sudden am i just a mess and he said you know think about your life like a sandbox and you muddled through and you got your sandbox and you've got your rules, this is how, you know, you work best and you know how to function in your life. And then you met your husband and you're like, hey, this is my sandbox, this is the rules, this is how I do things so that I can be successful. And he was like, okay, sounds good to me. And then you have kids and they're like, no rules. I don't care about your sandbox. Forget (laughs) it, we're gonna trash your sandbox. And when they were wee little, I just, like I would hold it together And then my husband would come back, you know, from work in the evening and I would just be like, take this kid, I I was like a pressure cooker. I'm like, I have to be a good mom. I have to keep, you know, keep calm and be good. And then he would walk in and I would just be like, take these, take, ah, and I would just like blow. Mm -hmm. And it gave me insight also into those kids that, you know, come home and mom says, they're doing great at school, but then they blow up when they walk in the door. And I say, they've been holding it together all day and they're finally in a safe space mom loves me no matter what kaboom I got to get this out somewhere but yeah so it was when the kids came along and my carefully structured systems and processes that I had put in place to be successful in my own life just got blown to bits that was when I started to say wait how do I navigate this new stage. That was when I first went on ADHD meds, which was a revelation because it was like, oh, (laughs) hello. I use the analogy that you're driving down the road and everybody's bebopping in their car to the song, you know, and you can see everybody to the side of you in traffic. And then when you take the right medication, because I tried a few and I was like, eh. And then when you take the right medication, it's like somebody finally just clicks the radio one tick over and you realize i've been listening to 96.7 all my life and now it's on 96.8 and i didn't realize that there wasn't supposed to be all this static like i could hear the song like in the old dial radios you know if you were just you just had to get that right sweet spot i was just one little click off so i was bebopping along to the same song but the noise and the static was always just part of my life And when I took that, when I took, you know, the right medication for the first time, was like, oh, there's not supposed to be all this static. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine that.
0: And Um, you mentioned earlier that you've stolen one of my lines. I've totally stolen that from you. No. And I just want to be straight. Like, I I use that in my workshops. I don't know if it's come up on the pod or not. I'm very flattered. But I absolutely use that. It, you know,
1: and some people use the glasses mm-hmm. analogy. You know,
0: that's the one I used to use. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but I just feel like we're all on the same page. We're all on this road in our little cars. But yeah, it just was like that subtle, tiny shift that brings everything into you know clear. Yeah.
0: So your kids get older.
1: Yeah. They both have ADHD.
0: Yeah. Yep. And is that when you become this fierce?
1: Yeah. Proponent? Well, I started my blog. And I used to say that I blogged about being a parent with ADHD. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a parent blogger. I always knew my one of my sons. I knew, like, early on, I was like, oh, hello, dude. <laughs> You're so wired like me. But when both of them were diagnosed, it shifted everything, because I did. I, number one, my big shift was, you know, I was going to the annual conference already, I was, Helping other parents who were reaching out to me from my blog, um, in terms of I don't know what to do with this, what you know, just help and mentoring kind of.
0: Is that blog still live? Is that still a thing?
1: It, it's it's still there. I keep, I keep saying that someday I'm going to come back, and that's my creative outlet. But oh. I've been so focused on my coaching journey now, right. and it gives me so much joy that. Someday I'll come back to that as just my pure creative outlet, but right now, this is where my passion is, so it's, it's good.
0: Did it start as an ADHD mom blog, or did it start as something else?
1: Well, the tagline on it was, uh, ADHD is my license to be eclectic, so I wrote about anything. I used to say i have write about anything that holds my attention long enough for me to sit down, write it, and hit publish. So I mean, anything from recipes to knitting to I can't get out of my ADHD fog today.
0: And it's called the fortuitous housewife. What's making you fortuitous?
1: I just felt like with all of the struggles as a kid, I found myself at a point in my life where I was like, I have these great kids, I have a wonderful husband. My life is pretty awesome. And it didn't turn out all that bad considering how much struggle I had as a kid with this ADHD thing.
0: And i want to interrupt for for the folks listening that that is critical for you to hear that you can struggle as a kid Mm -hmm. you can you can be the kid in the basement in the back of the school in that program that's going to last all day one class on the schedule and that kid can become Mm -hmm. a fortuitous adult and some of that necessitates adults taking a hand in intervening that means You need to be the mama bear, you need to be the papa bear, you need to roll in and kick the school's door open and all that stuff. Sometimes it means you've gotta find good mentors, you've gotta find good role models, like Lolly has done and like Lolly now is. But having a kid who's struggling right now does not mean that you will have a kid who is struggling later and does not mean that you will have a kid who cannot be an effective adult because absolutely your kid can make that growth and you can help make that growth happen for them. I I just think that's critical for parents to hear because it's easy to lose sight of the fact that it's not about raising an eight-year-old or an eighth grader, it's about raising a healthy, well-adjusted 26-year-old or a 36-year-old or 46-year-old. They'll get there, you'll get there. I wanna draw attention to that.
1: Well, and I think if there's one gift of having a kid with ADHD is, I mean, we have this beautiful baby and then this toddler and we, write this script or this narrative in our head, all our dreams for our children. And parents will call me, oh my God, what are we gonna do? And I'm like, okay, breathe. Because ADHD has not vaporized all of your hopes and dreams for your child. This is not a life altering, forever negative diagnosis. It just means that now you need to really get to know who your kid is. You have to get out of that narrative and allow yourself to get to know really who that kid is and what narrative they wanna write and how you can support them. Mm -hmm. And I think that in some ways that's a gift as a parent because it forces us to take off our rose-colored parent glasses and go, who is this human being and how can I support them? What do they need? You know, if you can find the silver lining but that's what I always tell parents, You know, they may still go to Harvard and become a Supreme Court Justice. They may still win a Nobel Prize. They just might take a really different route than mm-hmm. you ever expected. The number one thing that they have in their corner is you, because you're talking to me or you're reading that book or you're listening to ADHD Essentials. You're already educating yourself in terms of how you can best support your kid. And that's, that's crucial. But when, you know, when my boys were diagnosed, I lived in this space. I was really immersed in it. And I was like, wait, what? Who do I call? What do I do? What do I do first? And as a parent, you, you just immediately go into mom mode of like, I have to solve this problem. I have to save them. Yeah. And it's overwhelming. And I realized, now, wait a minute. I'm knowledgeable. I'm educated. I'm in this space. And I'm freaking out if you're not living in this space, I can only imagine how overwhelming, terrifying, where do I go, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. And that was really when everything changed.
0: And you really navigated that well. I don't
1: know, call my boys.
0: (laughs) Well, and here's, here's how I know that. You are the first and among the only parents who are affected by ADHD, either because they have it, their kids have it, or both, both in your case, who I met and did not immediately mine me for information and help and assistance <laughs> and, oh my God, it's just a relief that I'm seeing you in person and I know that you know stuff. You were just like, yeah, cool, I got kids with ADHD. And not only were you on top of it, and, and we've had conversations about little stuff here and there that's more like people who are friends talk about stuff. It's, yeah. You're not like, what do I do? But not only did you no, have... just normal, you know, yeah, bitching, bitching stuff. about your kids. And <laughs> yeah, and like, like normal sort of fine-tuning, like I think I might do this, what do you think about that yeah. kind of stuff. But not only were you on top of it, and have a, not only did you have a solid understanding of how to navigate it, but not just navigating ADHD, but navigating a school system and, and that kind of stuff, but you also have this remarkable ability to network. Like you have a monstrous network that is really effective for handling the kinds of challenges that you were facing around ADHD, both in terms of my kids have it and then moving into coaching and and Mm -hmm. doing that. So I'd love to play with that a little bit about how, how did you arm yourself with the knowledge and network that you needed to help your kids?
1: I mean, I went through what a lot of parents did. I had two kids who were doing relatively well in school and I kicked down the door. I had a conversation with the school principal. Well, I've been in education for blah 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 blah. blah." And I was like, I don't care. I've read the laws. I know, I know, test my kid. Oh, so, and they, this principal actually said back to me, so let me just be clear. You're saying you want to utilize your legal right to demand your children be tested. I said, yes. But I mean, it literally was the school of hard knocks. You know, I, went through that path that so many parents and i learned those lessons and then i delved into educating myself so what are the laws what are the rights where can you push how do you collaborate you know Mm -hmm. how do you get the teacher to be an advocate for your kid in the classroom you know how do you build that relationship you know i just did it because i had to for my own kids and again i had this new information So what do I do with it? I wanna help other people make their lives a little easier. And to raise two kids who don't believe ADHD is a stigma. Mm -hmm. I always tell parents, you know, if you don't tell your kids, and everyone has to their own journey, but knowledge is power. You know, my kids knew right up front, you have ADHD, this is what it's about, you know, at an age appropriate level and educating them as they went along. And I had a teacher um one day call me after like you know the first week of school or stuff and they're always having you know the get to know your new classmates and she called me up and she knew my history and she knew you know what I did and she said I have to tell you we're doing a tell your classmates three things we don't know about you and she's like and your son was like I play baseball I like tacos I have ADHD and I have a dog named Zara and she was like and it was just like No blip, no nothing, and I have ADHD, and da-da-da, and she was like, and I just, I love the fact, and I was like, that's my goal, is that it's not what defines you, it's just you're a baseball player, you have ADHD, and you like tacos. It's just part of who you are. When you share that, you also give your classmates and your friends an opportunity to build their own empathy skills and their own awareness about how to support other people.
0: That is working, that strategy, because 45 minutes west of you, and... My guys are 10, so five years later, mm-hmm. I guess-ish. I got, podcast listeners, you can't see this, but I, I got some clothes branded for my ADHD essentials stuff, specifically for the conference that I was at, so people would know who I was. And my kids heard I was doing this, and they were like, we want ADHD essentials sweatshirts. And I was like, okay. And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, I don't know that I wanna get them ADHD essentials sweatshirts, cause that might cause stigma because I'm thinking as a 41, 42-year-old guy that that would have been terrible when I was a kid. So instead, the logo that I used was ADHD Essentials with the word podcast, like stamped on top of it in yellow, because then my kids could say, oh, no, that's my dad's podcast, instead of it being like I have ADHD sort of a thing. And so I did that on purpose. And then I told them that was why I did it, right? I was like, I've got this stamp on there so that you don't have to feel like kids aren't going to make fun of you because you'll have ADHD or whatever because you're wearing a sweatshirt. And they were like, no dad, like no one's gonna make fun of us. Everybody has ADHD. There's like six kids in my class who have ADHD. It's not a big deal. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that, that's great. Yeah, That's the kind of perspective I want the kids it's just, coming up to have. And that's
1: the thing. It's like just embracing all the difference. And I've had parents who are like, oh, but I don't want to tell them because I don't want them to be stigmatized. I don't want them to be labeled. And I'm like, okay, they came out of the womb and a doctor said, it's a boy. It's a girl, a label. They're shy, they're outgoing. They're athletic, they're creative. We carry around labels. right? So when you withhold that label, you're also withholding the information that frees them from and opens up exploring other facets of who they are. So I feel like it's just in an appropriate age way, appropriate way and what's comfortable with your family. But give them the power of knowing who they are because if you hide that then they see all their friends around them school is easier for them they're better at this they're better at that and it you create a structure of I'm I'm not good enough but if you say yeah but you're good in these areas and you have a reason why you struggle in this it it gives them an opportunity to avoid maybe some shame and that's really why I became a coach was because I felt like and I love working with the younger kids as well because I want them to know, A, you're not broken. Let's figure out what your superpowers are because you have them. I want you to be proud of them. And where are your challenges? And how do you ask for help? How do you start to develop awareness about, I, this is hard for me, so who in this room can I ask for help? What am I? How am I going to handle this situation? And if you can give those kids a vocabulary and some confidence in, I know who I am and what I need, or I don't know what I need, but I'm not doing well right now. They can hopefully avoid a lot of the self esteem knocks, a lot of the shame that, you know, I'm not good enough. um, I'm disappointing people. So that's why I love working with parents and kids because just to give them that like, no, stop, you're awesome. You're unique, just like everybody else is. Everybody has their stuff. We just happen to have a name for our stuff. Right? It's called ADHD, but you know, so that's, it's really, I'm, I was proud because just to, I want my boys to never think of it as a stigma. And if they can be open and honest about it and maybe take a little tiny chink of stigma away for maybe somebody else in the room who has ADHD, like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. He's kind of proud of it, then that's great.
0: So let's go to that coaching part. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I have listeners who are like, what does that even mean? What is is a coach? How do you become a coach? What's going on there? You have gone through the coach training not so long ago that it's in the distant memory. Yeah. So what's that experience like? What does it mean to be a coach? And what what does that training look like?
1: Well, an ADHD coaching is a little more targeted and specific because we're really trying to help You figure out whether you're a kid or an adult, where is ADHD impacting your life? Where are those skills that may be, you know, and and I frequently point out to parents because it's not commonly discussed, you know, wherever your child's ADHD is impacting them, they may be 11, but if they're working memory, is an area that's really impacted by their ADHD, that 11-year-old may be functioning, you know, like an eight-year-old. So if you're saying, you've got to be responsible for your stuff, you're 11 years old now, you need to ramp back and say, so what would I do if they're eight? How do I help them develop that skill? And helping parents start to develop some awareness around, okay, this is an area of challenge for my child. So what are some strategies, tools, frameworks, supports that I can either help them build that muscle, or this is going to be a lifelong challenge for them. So let's help develop some habits that are going to minimize that challenge. Mm -hmm. And so helping the parents understand that to see their child through an ADHD lens in terms of the areas that they wish were better, easier, where the struggles are, how can we approach this differently? and, And really giving a kid some normalization in terms of you're like totally normal for you and you're great. And somebody coaching you know, also gives them that space of, you can't disappoint me. I'm gonna applaud your littlest progress. You're, and even if you fail this week on something you're trying to do, when we figure out why, there's the big win. Oh, that's why you're missing the bus every morning. That's awesome. So that strategy we used last week didn't work so well. Well, why not? Let's figure that out. And then when the next week they come back and they're like, I made the bus three days that we, this week. You're like, yes. And you can cheer them on and help them develop not only strategies and tools to support where they're struggling, but also really to develop awareness so that in the future when they're in high school or college or in a professional life, to start develop that awareness of like, wait, this is really, really hard for me. I'm not being successful. I'm gonna take a pause because I know I need to assess what do I, you know, what's going on in this situation? What do I need to bring to this to make it easier or change the course or something? And for kids, I feel like, especially working with them younger, it also gets them in a space of coaching's kinda cool. Mm -hmm. You know, she helped me figure some things out and make them easier. And so hopefully down the road, when they're a junior and they hit a bump and they're really struggling at school, asking for help, asking for resources is more comfortable for them. Yeah. You know, because they've been there and they know it's good. Life's gonna be easier when I ask for help.
0: Yeah, and, and some of the things I'm hearing from you as we talk is this laser focus on strengths. you use the word superpowers, but same idea, Most right? Little You're,
1: kids' superpowers are way cooler yeah. than strengths.
0: So that focus on strengths, also that focus on acceptance and permission. You can accept that you have ADHD. You're giving your clients and their parents permission to be affected by ADHD, to have ADHD, this sort of non-judgmental curiosity that you're trying to instill because you have it and and just working with you, I'm sure your clients are picking it up by osmosis of it's not I'm having this struggle, I suck what's wrong with me. It's, I'm having this struggle. How come? What can I do about it? Right.
1: What's going on in this situation? Yeah. And, you know, it was funny because I was, uh, I have a high school client and I was checking in on, hey, what's the agenda tonight? You know, for her, her homework and what she's got going on. And she knew I was at the conference, and she's like, what's on your agenda tonight? And I said, well, I'm going into a three-hour session right now, so I just took an Adderall. And she texts me back, the struggle is real. And I was like, you got it. Nice. But it was just so fun because it was like all of a sudden I'm getting coached by one of my clients. That's but it was awesome. like just great, you know, also to just say, hey, I am. I am right there with you. I am in it. I yeah. know, you know, when you feel like you can't share, you're like, oh, this is, you know. I'm the person that you can come and be like, I hate
0: da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. and
1: that's the thing. It gives it gives students, whatever, or kids or adults, a space that's their own. You know, obviously, if there's something that's dangerous or in any way, I always tell minor clients, you know, we're going to put a pause, and, we're, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say to you, this is something we need to talk to mom and dad about. Right. But otherwise, you can come in and rant and rave about your science teacher. Get it out and then let's work on the problem but you can have a space where you don't want to disappoint mom and dad you don't want to tell them how you're struggling in this class because you're trying so hard good come bring this bring it to my bring it to my office sit down in front of your computer and let's figure it out
0: you're also helping them to not try so hard right because another thing i'm hearing throughout this conversation is you're not saying try harder you're, everything that you've framed in this is all try different yeah and that's not the same because i can i can try harder to turn that lug nut with my hand and i'm not turning that lug nut with my hand but if i go get the tire iron right. and pop that bad boy on the lug nut it's going to move
1: right and so often parents are like you know they're they're not doing well in school we've got to get their grades up you know it's always that's great. That's a big that's what I call, you know, a big hairy goal. We're going to put it way up on the top of the chart. But first we need to figure out why what's going on. And you know, by the end of this term their D isn't going to be a B. The win is oh, I see they're not getting their homework turned in or they're not they're getting their homework turned in but they're tanking on all their tests. Maybe it's study skills or you know, where is where is the disconnect? And so maybe it's they don't get their homework turned in. They do their homework and they don't even get it turned in. So let's figure out what's going on. And the win is, guess what? They turned in three out of the last five homework assignments. So yeah, the D is still only a D plus or a C minus, but they're now developing a habit of turning in their homework. That's going to lead to the next big win, you know, and so they're small, incremental it's all about progress and focusing and applauding on that progress you know it's not about well you need to turn in all your homework every week if they're not turning any of it in getting one assignment in that week is a win so next week let's try for two it's small progress and that's hard as a parent because you want them to succeed it's all super well intentioned you want your kid not to struggle but you really have to kind of bring it to the you know really
0: supporting each Little success. So just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: When your kid's struggling, stop and talk to them. What's going on? How can I help? We try to save them from the tough stuff. We try to make things smooth the road. And what do you need? How can I help? And then applaud those small progress because that'll give them the momentum and the encouragement to try more to reach and to keep going forward.
0: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.